0: Unbelievable Truth, the panel game built on truth and lies. In the chair, please welcome David Mitchell. Hello and welcome to The Unbelievable Truth, the panel show about incredible truths and barely credible lies. I'm David Mitchell. Well, I've got four eager beavers with me tonight, and hopefully there'll be time to see them after the show. But first, please welcome Mark Steele, Holly Walsh, Tony Hawks and Fred McCauley. The rules are as follows. Each panellist will present a short lecture that should be entirely false, save for five hidden truths which their opponents should try to identify. Points are scored by truths that go unnoticed, while other panellists can win points if they spot a truth, or lose points if they mistake a lie for a truth. First up is Tony Hawks. Tony is often confused with the famous skateboarder Tony Hawk. But we've booked him now, so better make the best of it. Tony, your subject is Twins. Two children born at the same time to the same mother who are either identical
1: or fraternal. Off you go, Tony. Fingers on buzzers, the rest of you. Twins Morris and Robin Gibb were taller than the other Bee Gees and wrote the song Tragedy about their decision to sing in stupidly high voices. (laughs) Yeah,
0: they were taller than the other one. No, it's the other way round.
1: The non-twin
0: was (laughs) taller than the twins. Yeah. What was, ba- his, what was his name? Barry. Barry was taller than Morrison. He was, tall, he Morris was, quite, he and was Robin. over 6 foot. Was Barry
2: a brother then?
0: They're all brothers, but two of
3: them are twins. No. Well. Was he
2: older or younger? Yes. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> Which one's still alive? Uh, no. I think it is the tall one. Interesting.
1: Oh, I, think
2: yes. Rob, I think I think Robin is dead because I went to his memorial garden in Miami.
1: Yeah, well, well be, uh... <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, let's hope that's the case. That's Otherwise, it. there's been an administrative error of a colossal. It'd be very, very insensitive. Yeah. It, so,
4: you know. it's like listening to an episode of Moose.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Tony. Piers Morgan has a twin. Well, lesser twin, more a decaying portrait of himself that he keeps in the <laughs> attic of his house. <laughs> the Wright brothers, who first had the idea to fly, were twins. Apart from the twin-engine plane, they're also credited with inventing the twin set, the twin tub, the hotel twin room, and twine. <laughs> Holly,
2: I bet one of them is true.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm going to go for yeah. twin tub.
0: The Wright brothers invented for the, for the twin, twin tub. Twin tub, yeah. No. I think the Wright brothers were long dead before the twin tub was invented, which is ridiculous, really, because the aeroplane is much better than the twin tub. <laughs> and you'd imagine that humanity would invent things in order
1: of how good they are. But yeah. I, I'm
2: always amazed by how late they introduced wheels to suitcases.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. I, but, yeah, I mean, that was... You see them everywhere now. You never used to see never. people. Yeah, but them my them. theory... Still holds with that in that the wi- the wheeled suitcase was
4: invented after yeah, the exactly. less good unwheeled suitcase. But, but yeah. this David, is a discussion that could only ever take place on radio. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I, I'm not so
3: sure that the aeroplanes are better invention than the twin tub. I mean, if somebody's got a huge pile of dirty washing, an aeroplane's yeah. useless to them. <laughs> well, you can.
4: Could... <laughs> You could fly
3: it to the non-direct. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, I, I see what you mean. But also, I mean, the, the aeroplane is still the leading form of flying around, whereas the twin tub isn't even the leading form of washing machine, is it? It's been superseded. By a single tub.
2: But arguably a helicopter is better than a well,
0: again, it's an aeroplane. Again, an aeroplane. Yeah. Arguably by who? Who would well, argue a, <laughs> a, a, a I am arguing. A <laughs> little helicopter that's like a wasp next to Concorde.
2: Yeah, but a Concorde has been taken out of use, so that uh, doesn't no, count. Well, I
3: mean, that's a tragedy, isn't it? <laughs> (laughs) It's the twin top of
2: airplanes.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Mm.
1: And it was twin boys from Ohio who came up with the wedgie-proof underpants we all used to wear to school. (laughs) Most Hollywood actors have twins. Kevin Bacon has an identical twin. Alec Baldwin has a fraternal twin. Andy Garcia was a Siamese twin. The list is endless. Holly.
2: I think there are two Bacons.
1: Um, (laughs)
0: Smoked and unsmoked um, Well, there are two Bacons He's got an older brother, but not a twin
1: In 1968, the Swiss village of Dirt Twinned with the German village of Muck In 2012, the US town of Boring, Oregon Twinned with the Scottish village of Dull
3: Fred Yeah, that's true Dull and boring Twinned (laughs) You're absolutely right, Fred Uh... Yes
1: And the Cumbrian town of Cockermouth still can't find anyone to twin with. (laughs) Twins make much better soldiers than non-twins because the enemy get confused in combat when they seem to have to kill the same soldier twice. (laughs) The Russians exploit this mercilessly and have a twins-only paramilitary unit. In 2009, a Thai man named Wichai married twin sisters simultaneously. He said the marriage works well because he sleeps with each one three nights a week and with both on Sundays. Thank you, Tony.
0: And at the end of that round, Tony, you've managed to smuggle four truths past the rest of the panel, which are that Andy Garcia was a Siamese twin. He was born with an undeveloped conjoined twin the size of a tennis ball attached to his shoulder, which was surgically removed. The uh, second truth is that it was twin boys from Ohio, Jared and Justin Serovich, who came up with wedgie-proof underpants. (laughs) Justin explained how they work. When the person tries to grab you like the bully or the person tries to give you a wedgie, they just rip away. Very well put, Justin. <laughs> um, the third truth is that the Russians have a twins-only paramilitary unit. In 1988, riot police in the southern Russian town of rostov Nadonu put together an armed unit formed solely of identical twins. The unit was assembled after three pairs of twins enlisted almost simultaneously and instructors liked the way the twins worked together as a team. Uh, the fourth truth is that in 2009, a Thai man named Witcheye married twin sisters simultaneously. He sleeps with each one three nights a week and both of them on Sundays. <laughs> um, and that means, Tony, that you've scored four points. Yeah. X-Factor twins Jedward always stand with John on the left and Edward on the right when making public appearances. In other words, they never stand like that anymore. LAUGHTER <laughs> In 2008, a British couple who realised after their wedding that they were twins separated at birth were granted a marriage annulment. Well, it was either that or moved to Norfolk. (laughs) Okay, we turn now to Holly Walsh. Holly, your subject is Sean Connery, the Academy Award-winning Scottish actor best known for his film portrayal of James Bond. Off you go, Holly.
2: There are two things that everyone knows about Sean Connery. One, that he's Welsh, and two, that he's one of the stupidest men who ever lived. On his birth certificate, his name is actually spelled S H A U N, but he's never been able to spell it right.
1: Tony, I think he, he, his name is spelled S H A U N on his birth certificate. My dad spelled my name wrongly on my birth certificate, so I think it's plausible that it was an error by yeah. his parents. Well, and the, 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 anyway, the, I hate the,
0: to say this, Tony, but if it's spelled wrongly on your birth certificate, what, what that actually means is you've been spelling it wrongly. <laughs> in <your innocence, laughs> so. That, that is your name, unless you've changed it by deed poll.
2: How is your name spelt, then?
1: Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> no, his name
0: is spelt correctly on the first of it, and it is Thomas Sean Connery. Ah, oh, OK. But Sean, S-E-A-N, I as in no, Sean no, Connery. My
1: intention is to whittle away these four points I've gained as quickly
0: <laughs> yeah. as I can. Well, if removing 25% of something can be defined as whittling,
2: <laughs> then
1: you're already doing it. <laughs>
2: The best example of his stupidity is that Sean Connery has absolutely no idea he's actually an actor. In fact, he was so confused during the making of Doctor No that he insisted on saying the name's Connery, Sean Connery, and kept asking Doctor No if he'd mind having a look at the weird rash on his balls. This inability to differentiate between fact and fiction has meant that he's turned down parts in several massive movies, thinking they were genuine job offers for which he was unqualified. For example, he refused to play Robocop because he thought they would turn him into an actual robot. He turned down Gandalf in Lord of the Rings because he didn't know any magic. And when asked if he wanted to be in Showgirls, his first reply was, sure, how many?
1: (laughs) Tony. Well, one of those he turned down. I think he turned down Robocop. No, I oh. didn't turn down Robocop. Oh. Another whittling there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Back in the real world, Sean Connery is so stupid he's struggled to hold down a huge array of jobs. He's been a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker, a candlestick destroyer, a milkman, the milk tray man, the milky bar kid.
0: Mark. Milkman. Yeah, he was, yes. He was a milkman. Milkman. Yeah, yeah. Bullseye. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, he left school at 14 and worked as a milkman before joining the Navy.
2: He's been the milk tray man, the milky bar kid, a milk monitor, a coffin polisher, a French polisher and a Polish polisher. The one thing he is very good at, however, is impressions. He's famed for his spot-on impersonations of celebrities such as the taller Chuckle Brother, Roger Moore, Brian Blessed, Sweet from the City Show and a slightly un-PC Ken Hom. In fact, he did such a good impression of George Best that he ends up playing three international games at, for Northern <laughs> Ireland. And so Matt Busby offered him a place at Manchester United. And that's everything I know about Sean Connery, which I can assure you is a lot more than that idiot knows about himself.
0: no. Thank you, Holly. Mm -hmm. Well, Holly, at the end of that round, you have also smuggled four truths past the rest of the panel. Mm -hmm. Gandalf. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> one of them is Gandalf. Yeah, yeah. Yes, Connery turned down the part of Gandalf in Lord of the Rings. Director Peter Jackson had wanted Connery to play the part so much he'd offered him 15% of the worldwide box office for all, for all three films. Huh? I mean, Connery turned down the offer because he didn't get the script, saying, I read the book, I read the script, I saw the movie, I still don't understand it. <laughs> The second truth is that Connery was so confused during the making of Doctor No that he said, the name's Connery, Sean Connery. (laughs) According to the actress Eunice Gason, who played the first ever Bond girl, Sylvia Trench, during the filming of the scene in Doctor No where Connery as Bond introduces himself to her, he was so nervous that he kept fluffing the now famous line by giving his real name. She says, he came out with other permutations like Sean Bond and James (laughs) Connery. The director, Terence Young, told me to take him away for a drink or two to calm his nerves. (laughs) The third truth is that one of the other jobs he's done is that he's been a coffin polisher. After leaving the Navy, Connery returned to Edinburgh and took a number of jobs, including coffin polisher, bricklayer, lifeguard and a nude model to (sighs) Edinburgh art students. And uh, the fourth truth is that Sir Matt Busby offered him a place at Manchester United. He was offered a £25 a week contract to play for Manchester United in the early 1950s, but turned it down because he believed there was more career longevity in acting than football.
3: David, uh, might I, before we move on, uh, for the audience, uh, do my Sean Connery impression? <laughs> Please do. Yeah. Uh, Here you go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's Sean Connery trying to understand Lord of the Rings. Isn't <laughs> And that means, Holly, you scored four points. Yeah. Sean Connery acted in seven Bond films. Roger Moore also appeared in seven Bond films, but only acted in about one and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Sean Connery was in the Royal Navy, but he left after being given a seaman's discharge. <laughs> well, these things happen. Yeah. I imagine it gets lonely at sea. Yeah. <laughs> Next up is Mark Steele. Mark, your subject is Golf. A game played on a large open-air course in which a small hard ball is struck with a club into a series of small holes in the ground in as few strokes as possible. Off you go, Mark.
4: Although universally renowned for their snobbery, there is a sound reason why golf clubs insist on strict membership rules to protect standards, which is that... If they let the working class in, they'd just ruin the greens by dancing up and down on them, singing My Old Man Said Follow the Van on a Piano, and then they'd tape all the clubs together to make one long pole and use it as a chimney sweep, getting soot all over the fairways and then turn the clubhouse into a shop selling everything for a pound. And there's a really good reason why golf clubs bar women from joining. It's because the ball could easily get lodged in their cleavage. And then the lady would become hysterical and run home crying and then the player would have to play the next shot from her kitchen where she'd be baking to recover. (laughs) Some women have addressed this problem by owning their own golf course, such as Diane Abbott, who's turned the whole of Hackney into a crazy (laughs) Uh... golf course with with a huge windmill over Hackney marshes. And Celine... Fred.
3: Yeah, uh, there aren't
4: women-only golf clubs. Yes, but that's not what Mark said.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he right. said some women have addressed this problem by owning their own golf course.
3: OK, well, some women own their own golf <laughs> course.
0: Uh, yes, well, that is true, actually, yeah. There, w- there will be women who own golf courses. Right, but that's not the truth. But, the, the, well, you know, maybe one of the women Mark is suggesting is true, like Diane Abbott's not true. But, you know, you know no, that. that's... I mean, you've, in a way, you've spoiled the fun of this bit. Um, <laughs> That that was my sole intention. (laughs) um, But certainly, you know, it's been several hundred years now that women have been allowed to own property, so... (laughs) I don't know, maybe a bonus point. Yeah, have a bonus point, yeah.
2: Wait, a man just got a bonus point because women can own property?
1: (laughs) (laughs) There had to be some motive for it.
4: (laughs) And Celine Dion, who owns a golf course singing the theme Titanic whenever a ball sinks in the water. Tiger Woods was... Tony.
1: I think Celine Dion... I regret this already. (laughs) I've been sort of swept into this by Fred's enthusiasm about women owning golf courses. But she probably does own a golf course. She's so rich, she's got to own one somewhere. The fact that she's so rich doesn't mean that she'd own a golf course. It does.
0: It does, David. I mean, as one as you... of the necessary precursors to own a golf course is to be rich. It doesn't mean if you're rich you're going to
1: go, great, a golf course. Just tell me I'm right and let's <laughs> move
0: on. You're right. Ah. <laughs> yes, she's a golf fanatic and owns Le Mirage Golf Club near Montreal.
4: Tiger Woods was once disqualified from a tournament in Wyoming when it turned out that the birdie three he'd scored on the seventh hole had actually been played by one of his prostitutes (laughs) who who had a perfect swing and she had clients who loved being thrashed on the buttocks (laughs) with a five iron. (laughs) Every rapper is a top golfer. 50 Cent played off a handicap of 12 until he was seen asking his caddy for an Uzi automatic rifle and shooting the ball into the hole. Snoop Dogg plays off an 18 handicap, which is the basis for his track on The Dogfather that goes, when your hood's real mean, you can rule the scene, By on hole 17, you can reach the green. (laughs) Fred? I think Snoop Dogg's a golfer and might
3: well have an 18 handicap. Yeah, he does have an 18 handicap. Yeah. Which just goes to show he doesn't golf enough.
2: I don't understand golf, so it's 18 crap.
3: Well, it's verging on crap, yeah.
2: <laughs> What's, your it's bad. Hmm? What's your handicap? What's your handicap? Are
3: you assuming I'm a golfer? Just no, I'm, I'm
2: assuming you're a rapper. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I
4: think it's marvellous, actually, that in recent years, Scottish people have been allowed to own golf
1: courses. <laughs> <laughs> but you can have point? a bonus point. <laughs> <laughs> But right. here's a flaw in one of our English expressions. We say I'm feeling a bit under par today. But under par is a good score yeah. in golf. Yes. So that should be that you're feeling
0: terrific. Yeah. If par is just a golf metaphor, like I imagine goal is from football, then yeah. you're right, it's badly used. Yeah. But if it's a game that predates the golf metaphor, well, that's thing, another you say, one in football. It, they say he's
1: he's he's hit the back of the net. He hasn't it. he's hit the front of the net. <laughs> 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 Yeah, no, that's you want to now. hang out with me a lot more? <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> I think this is the closest you've ever come to sporting banter.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I,
0: I, I realise why I've avoided it up to now. Um, uh, but yes, Snoop Dogg plays off an 18 handicap.
4: Uh, when Einstein published his general theory of relativity, the New York Times sent their golf correspondent to cover the event, whose review began, According to Einstein, space isn't a straight line, but is shaped like the sixth fairway at Medina.
2: Holly. I can imagine they wouldn't know who to send, so they would send... It sounds yeah. weird enough that that's possible. Yes,
0: well, you're absolutely right, they did. The New York Times... The New York Times sent their golfing correspondent, Henry Crouch, to cover the event in London, as he happened to be in the UK for the Open Golf Tournament at St Andrews. Though Crouch was no expert in the mathematics of four-dimensional space-time, his piece in the New York <laughs> Times was considerably more enthusiastic than those in the British press, which were markedly restrained as to the importance
4: of Einstein's theory. He probably said, your theory is under par, and I mean that in a complimentary way. <laughs> <question. laughs> <laughs> Uh, A golfer called Tommy Thunderbolt was fined for farting on the course, and veteran (laughs) golf commentator Peter Alice said, Oh, my, what a pity. Well, he did rather let rip, and let's hope the poor chap didn't follow through, which would make an unseemly mess of the 8th fairway, but not to worry, not to worry. Uh, Golf is a lethal sport. Golfers can get golf ball liver from licking golf balls, though many people wean themselves off the habit by vaping with a table tennis ball.
2: (laughs) uh, Is it true that old-fashioned golf balls were poisonous?
0: That is not true, but that's not what Mark said.
2: Well, I mean, if you licked it, you'd get something... Yes,
0: that is true. Golfers can get golf ball liver from licking golf balls. Golfers who give their golf balls a go-faster lick before teeing off risk exposure to weed killers which can cause golf ball liver.
2: Is that a thing? What? To lick a ball to make it go faster.
1: (laughs) Well, we don't...
0: <laughs> Apparently, in some contexts, <laughs> it is. <laughs> I suppose, you know, people must think, you know, can't hurt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mark. <clears throat> and at the end of that round, Mark, you've managed to smuggle one truth past oh. the rest of the panel, That's which is poor, that. A, isn't it? A golfer called Tommy Thunderbolt was fined for farting on the course. <laughs> Tommy Thunderbolt was fined $250 at the Memphis Open Invitational in 1959 while his opponent was attempting a putt. <laughs> <laughs> it was, I think the, the fart happened during that. I don't think the fine happened then. That probably happened later. Anyway, that means, Mark, you scored one point. At a 1984 tournament in Memphis, professional golfer Gary McCord split his trousers open, revealing that he was wearing no underwear and providing an unexpected glimpse of the first hole. (laughs) Next up is Fred McCauley. Fred, your subject is photography, the art or process of taking photographs either on light-sensitive film or in electronic
3: digital form. Off you go, Fred. In the 19th century, images captured by a camera were originally known as paralenticular photovitriographs, or they were until 1860 when Queen Victoria shortened the title to photo. Near the end of her reign, when Queen Victoria was pictured holding a baby, she was so scared of dropping it that a royal maid was secretly placed beneath her vast skirt to hold the baby firmly in place. Mark. Yeah, that sounds right. The hiding, baby-holding maid.
0: That's absolutely true. Yes, well done. Yes, in later life, Queen Victoria had lost almost all the strength in her arms and could not support even a newborn baby. So photographs of her holding her infant grandchildren had to be faked by placing a maid under her hooped skirt to hold the child in place.
3: So whenever you see Queen Victoria with a big... You've no idea what's (laughs) going on under there. (laughs) Churchill looks grumpy in the £5 note because the photographer who took his portrait had just snatched the cigar from his lips and popped in a Werther's original. Moments later, Churchill's face was wreathed in smiles as the crisp outer shell parted to release the sumptuously creamy inner caramel. Mm. (laughs) The first photo finish in a horse race took place at Sandown Park in 1897. As they reached the finishing post, the horses had to pause, hold the position for 30 seconds, while the photographer made his exposure.
4: Mark. Right, not the pausing bit, but I reckon that would be the first photo finish. No. No, of course not. How no. could it be take it that quickly? Of course yeah. not. Yeah, they still had portrait finishes then, <laughs> I think. Um, now, the first course, photo finish... I'm overexcited.
0: <laughs> first photo
3: finish was at the Del Mar Turf Club in California in 1937. Yeah. Saga magazine briefly introduced a saucy photo feature titled Reader's Mothers. <laughs> and the bi-monthly bi- Barbed Wire Collector magazine featured a section where married barbed wire collectors were invited to send in photos of themselves with their collections to be crowned Prickly Pair of the Month. <laughs> Holly.
2: People who love barbed wire would get magazines and they would want people to know that they were keen barbed wire lovers.
0: That's exactly why... I'm assuming this does, in fact, happen. Oh. Yeah. Each prickly pear photo had an accompanying article about the couple,
1: including how long they'd been married and how big their collection was. Do you ma- imagine yeah. how their courtship happened, though? You know, you like barbed wire, too! <laughs> you know, they're kind of made for each other, aren't they? Don't I they? don't think many of those couples were both really
0: equally into barbed wire. <laughs> Don't you? I, think, I think that sometimes in a relationship you show interest, don't you? Yeah. Trying, I've really been trying to get into barbed wire more because Ken really loves barbed wire. And, you know, and they're probably relationships, let's be honest, where because of some failure of communication, actually secretly neither of them are into barbed wire. And they're I, both sort of going through the motions because they think
3: the other one's keen. Right? And let's hope they come to that realization. <laughs> Photographic giants Kodak sponsored America's first full-colour TV detective series. The hero was to be called Kodak until the US Broadcasting Commission forced him to change it. However, they did agree to let the leading actor change his name from Radio Savalas to telly. Tony. I think it was going to be called that, and they changed it to Kojak.
1: You thought it was Kodak?
2: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> I don't mean... It. No. <laughs> no. No, it wasn't. No. no now, what you're doing there, isn't it? Is sniggering at me? <laughs> That's not becoming just, of the host. I'm just of this show. Just entering
0: into a general spirit of jollity
1: <laughs> engendered by the evening. It's hard. I'm not you. mocking you directly. It's really hard. This trying to spot all these truths. <laughs> And you'll just sit there, all smug, because they're all written down for you. (laughs) Yes. Now this is
3: definitely I'm much more comfortable in this role. (laughs) Visitors are not permitted to take flash photos of the log cabin in which Abraham Lincoln was born, as it might damage the logs. Visitors to Trump Tower are not permitted to take flash photographs because the designer responsible for the decor is so ashamed. (laughs) Thank you, Fred. And at the end
0: of that round, Fred, you've managed to smuggle three truths past the rest of the panel, which are which are that in 1860 it was Queen Victoria who first shortened the word photograph to photo. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, the word photo was first used by her in a letter dated in that year. The second truth is that Churchill looks grumpy on the £5 note. Because the photographer who took his portrait had just snatched the cigar from his lips. The photo was taken in 1941, just after the Nazi puppet government in France had sworn to wring the neck of Britain like a chicken. Churchill's steely, belligerent glare in the picture, which appears to show a face resolute in the face of crisis, was only achieved when the photographer, Yusuf Kash, cheekily plucked the cigar from Churchill's lips moments before the shot was taken. And the third truth is that visitors are not permitted to take flash photos of the log cabin in which Abraham Lincoln was born, as it might damage the logs. Incidentally, seven American presidents were born in log cabins. And that means, Fred, you've scored three points. A photo of Princess Diana was once used on posters promoting birth control in Pakistan as a prominent example of a woman who only had two children. She used the birth control method known as hating your husband. (laughs) Which brings us to the final scores. In fourth place, with minus one point, we have Mark Steele. (laughs) In third place, with no points, it's Tony Hawks. In second place, with three points, it's Holly Walsh. And in first place, with an unassailable four points, it's this week's winner, Fred McCauley. That's about it for this week. Goodbye. The Unbelievable Truth was devised by John Naismith and Graham Garden and featured David Mitchell in the chair with panellists Mark Steele, Holly Walsh, Tony Hawks and Fred McCauley. The chairman's script was written by Dan Daster and Christine Rose and the producer was John Naismith. It was a random production for BBC Radio 4.